0: and gentlemen, It's majestic and resolute. Where you pursue your dreams with hard work, dedication, sacrifice, discipline, and passion. But above all, it's respect for what the ice can do for you. It was always my goal to make it to the NHL. Since I can remember, I wanted to be a hockey player when you're hot you're hot brady Leo bold with his fourth goal of the game and the colonna rockets having a whole lot of fun tonight but the ice and all its majesty can hit you back when you least expect it an
1: in injury my first year pro at 21 years old led me down a dark path to oxycodone. shortly after that i found myself addicted to heroin and not playing hockey
0: demons hide in every corner they can take everything away from you Everything you worked so hard to achieve. And before you know it, the demons own you.
1: Ultimately, I became homeless on the streets in Vancouver on Hastings, which is widely known as the worst block in North America.
0: Brady Leavold was on the edge of realizing his dream of playing in the NHL. Then he lost it all to drug addiction. I was hiding
1: a dark secret.
0: These are real stories about pain, loss, and genuine people. The sad truth of it all. Success comes for the price.
1: Want to die. Many times I was in the psych ward, tried to commit suicide. Welcome to the
0: Hockey to Heroin Road to Recovery Podcast with your host,
1: Brady Bungavoli.
2: stand to fly i'm not that night, i'm just out to find the better part of me i'm more than a bird i'm more than a plane i'm more than some pretty face beside a train and it's not easy to be me, I wish that I could cry, fall upon my knees, find a way to lie, about a home I'll never see, it may sound absurd, but don't be naive. Even
1: the All right, guys, let's do it. Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Of course, this is Brady Will coming at you guys live from Aurelia, Ontario. Sorry, I apologize. I warned you guys. Um. Wow. Um, I'm shaking. Uh, what a week it's been. I've put this podcast off uh, day after day. Um, I'm kind of hiding in candlelight. After all, it is a podcast. Um going to turn up the song for a second. I love this part. Not
2: that naive. Men want men to ride with clouds between.
1: All right, guys, let's get into it. Um, Wow. I don't even know where to start. Um, I'm going to pretty much get right in uh, to the letter that I wrote to my daughter, who's a week old, who... (laughs) is unbelievable. Um, I never, ever thought that I was going to be a dad again. Um, I'm going to get into that in the letter. I'm going to cry my eyes out. I don't know how long it's going to take. This letter is over 10,000 words. So I don't know how much time you guys have. But uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes um thank you for joining me um thank you to everybody who supported us holy shit. uh i say it all the time but not too long ago there's people like you know and the people that i knew right like they avoided me uh at all costs and I mean, for good reason. And I was just at such a point in my life that there was no coming back from it. I mean, and uh, I had completely given up. You're gonna get to hear about it a little bit in this letter. Keep in mind that this letter is probably for my daughter when she's much older, um, like 30 maybe. (laughs) Um, But yeah. I could I could sit here and, and try to name off all the names right now of the people that have been so great, uh, right from our family members, um, to some of our closest friends, um, to people that we've never met um, other than through social media. Um, and let me just be perfectly clear that we would not have been able to do it uh, without all of you guys, so thank you. Um, I don't want to try to name everybody. Um, because I don't want anybody to feel left out because I know what it feels like to, to be left out and, uh, it doesn't feel good. So I want to make sure that, um, everybody, uh, that has helped us, uh, in any way, um, gets recognized and we're going to do that, um, when we're out of the hospital. And when I have time to do it the right way, uh, because it just, it so deserves, um, to be done in, in such a special way because what has happened uh, is absolutely mind-blowing um you know right from the very beginning of the podcast to, it's been incredible but the amount of support that's come through um through this time um and a lot of you guys know what's going on um, and you will get to hear a little bit about it in the letter but um you know it is. uh it's opened my eyes to so many things um outside of my circle and also inside my circle you know i look at taylor and i'm just so proud of her and um yeah it's uh it's 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 hard right to to watch your your daughter have to go through that and then not even be able to be there every day because of covid19 and, and not really be able to support Taylor as much as I'd like to because I can't be in there and she's in there every three hours feeding veda and it's you know she's man she's a warrior. Um, you know, wow, I just I love her so much and I'm just so proud of her so. Uh, before the tears really come out. Um, I'm not going to talk too much like I always do in an intro, uh, but before I get into the episode. You know this episode is proudly brought to you by Team Issued Limited. I have no clothes down here because I thought we were only going to be down here for a few days. But unfortunately, we're down here longer. I only have one hat. I have about 20 Team Issued hats, but I only brought one. But guys, check it out. Team Issued. Dot C-A. Promo code. Toadrag 15. To get 15% off your total purchase guys I'm expecting a big package of team issued any day and I can't wait we're gonna do a couple giveaways again uh, so stay tuned for that Um, I'm honored to be a part of team issued and to uh, have that rekindled friendship with Jesse it's just another bit another amazing part of this journey Uh, but guys we're all in the hockey community probably if you're listening to this let's support another hockey player and support team issued limited team issued dot ca promo code toll drag 15 to get 15 percent off your total purchase uh guys yeah i guess it's time uh time to do it letter to Veda guys uh, give me a second uh to just really get my head on straight there's no video no nothing, I'm just going to get straight into it. <laughs> So for anybody that doesn't know, that's Taylor's favorite movie. And uh, I'm glad you guys can't see the tears in my eyes. Holy shit. Um, And we were watching it quite a bit and when she got pregnant. And uh, she was like, I really like that name. And about five minutes later, I was like, well, sorry. I'm like, well, I guess it's Veda then, isn't it? And she's like, yeah. And it was. uh, So that's that's where Veda came from. Uh, Movie My Girl um <laughs> veda saltenfuss is the name uh we joked it's uh veda may and saltenfuss Leibold. just a joke um but what a cute name veda may Ann Levold. uh so uh it's kind of interesting because the mayan is kind of a pun take on marion which is my grandma's name so the may Ann, that's kind of like marion uh because taylor's uh, Nana's name uh, Bev's. It was mom's mom's name uh, is was Ann. And so we we were able to uh, get them both in there and make it sound just very beautiful. Veda Maya leave old and what an angel she is. So um, let's get right into this letter. I'm Not gonna look up at the camera. I'm gonna read it off my phone. Um, I ha- I wrote it on my computer. Can't see, but it's in Pages, and this is. I don't have my printer with me, so I wasn't able to print it off or anything. Um, so I'm going to, uh, to get right into it here. Um, I think Facebook's getting mad that I'm playing the My Girl song, uh, but that's okay. Because um, I'm recording it anyways, and uh, that's all that matters. Uh, so let's get right into it. Okay, here we go. Dear Veda Mayan Leivold, my angel, you're such a miracle. I promise never to lie to you and that starts right now. I feel okay about it because you're only four days old and you won't fully understand until you're much older, if ever. I mean, it's a lot for anyone to fully comprehend. Veda, you're not my first child. In fact, you are my fourth. I'm sorry to tell you that I've been nothing but a disappointment to your brothers and sister. At the time I am writing you this, the facts are this. Your oldest brother, I'm going to leave the name blank, is 13 years old. He lives in Edmonton with his mom. I had him when I was playing major junior hockey in a town called Swift Current, a small town full of some of the most amazing people I have ever met, but a place that I struggled in dearly. Not for any reasons other than what was going on for me personally and the things I had endured up to that point in my life veda when i was a young boy i was sexually abused by an older man It was without question the single event in my life that completely altered my future it changed everything how i felt about myself how i felt about people and how i viewed the world in general everything became about hiding who i really was i submerged myself into anything i could to not only to get myself out of my own head but to make people see me for anything other than who I really was I was a confused little boy and hockey provided me with a release that allowed me to escape whenever I had that stick in my hand you can't play hockey 24 hours a day seven days a week though there was a point when I wasn't sleeping I was doing something directly related to hockey this way of living this false identity did everything and more than I could have ever imagined. Hockey provided uh, hockey provided me with everything a young boy in Canada could ever dream of. I had more friends than you could count, more pretty girls than most guys will ever have in a lifetime, parties galore, you name it. Growing up, it was a picturesque Canadian kid living out the Canadian dream. Sure, I had some natural a- athletic ability, but the fact is this. The only reason i ever got good at hockey was because i spent so much time practicing it drove me hockey was my first drug it was how i escaped myself veda ever since i can remember i have been running for myself and from the world i was scared to be myself how is the world ever gonna accept me for who i am i can't even explain the misery of middle school what a shithole pardon my french sweetheart but by the time you read this those years will have heard that all i'm sure i don't ever want you to go through life with the pain that i carried i know my family would have done anything to protect me there will be times when i am not always there to protect you just like my dad was not always there to protect me though he was 99 percent of the time well that one percent is all it took after those series of events i was never the same but veda those series of events have made me who i am today and today. I am your father. I think I will just let that sink in for a minute. Let me reflect for a second. Sorry. My entire life, I wanted to be a dad. Remember how I told you about your brothers and sisters you haven't met? Well, I have failed them. I was scared to fail you. Honestly, I am also scared about how they are going to feel about all of this. How are they gonna feel when they see me with you? I hope they won't feel like they weren't good enough. There was nothing no one could do to save me. I still can't tell you exactly what it is, but I am alive. I am your dad, Beta. I can't make any promises in this letter because in my 33 years, I have learned that promises are meant to be broken. Talk is cheap and actions run deep. I don't know when you will read this, but I know you will be much older than you are right now, at just four days old. I worry that your brothers and sisters may never understand. I worried about that for a long time. Some days are easier than others, but I just keep pushing through. When I hold you in my arms, all of my struggles are gone. My pain is removed. You have given me another reason to live. You have given me hope. Veda, if there's one thing I can promise, it's that I am going to make mistakes. I can also promise you that I, uh, I... Sorry, if there's one thing I can promise, it's that I'm going to make mistakes. I can also promise you... Uh, sorry, I said the same thing twice there, I think. Sorry. I hope that when you're reading this, our relationship has grown to such that you can come to me in those mistakes that you make. That you never have to hide anything from me. Nothing you have done will ever be enough for me not to love and support you. Your mom and I have made enough mistakes for you and your siblings combined. I have lived through pain so that you do not have to. I was scared to tell people what happened to me and how I was feeling because I saw how cruel the world can be. I learned early that I had to pretend to be something I wasn't for people to like me. I found out though I was What I found out, though, was that no one really liked me anyways, and most importantly, I didn't like myself. As I write this, I would be lying if I said there are moments, even days, that I struggled to like myself, let alone love myself. Right now, I have about $18 to my name. I don't have a place for our family to live. I don't have a job. I don't have a vehicle. I am on methadone. My criminal record is three pages long. I am missing my four front teeth. To be honest, I feel like a loser. If I sit in my head long enough, it would not take long for me to talk myself right off the symbolic cliff straight into hell. (laughs) When I found out your mom was pregnant, it changed everything for me. I didn't have a clue what we were going to do. I told you I was going to be honest, so I'm going to be, always. We were staying in the basement at your grandma and grandpa's house in Muskoka. We were on the couch while Hadley was in one room and Lincoln on the other. I barely knew your mom, but by now, you probably would have heard that story. Yes, we met while I was in jail, but pretty cool story, isn't it? I knew that if I was going to continue to use, that I was not going to be alive much longer, and at this time, I was perfectly okay with that. There are no words to fully describe the misery and hopelessness my life was in. Sorry, guys. Jesus, I need to blow my nose or something. Oh, excuse me. That's pretty cool. Uh, just take a moment. I just got a text from PJ Stock. He's going to come on the podcast on Wednesday. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I know it's right in the mic and stuff, but I'm just crying. My nose is running. and um, I'll get back the uh, the letter here. There are no words to fully describe the misery and hopelessness my life was in before I met your mom. I was locked away in one of the worst jails in Canada, four provinces away from my nearest family member. I didn't even want to get out of jail, though at this time I was in that cycle. Get out, overdose, do crime, be on the run, overdose, get arrested, insanity. Jail was actually peaceful. By the time I met your mom, I was so institutionalized that I was actually happy in jail at least i thought i was i don't talk about it much but your mom could tell tell you more about it so feel f- free to ask her stories your mom has seen me do a complete turnaround the first time i ever spoke to her by fluke on the phone while i was in jail i knew it was something special she can tell you the reason i was calling her because she was seeing a different because she was seeing a different guy that happened to be in there with me yes beta let's not give your mom grief about her choices on this one, because you're here now, aren't you? And nothing will ever convince me that this wasn't meant to be. There was a guy named Mitch, and your mom, being the rock solid chick she is, had a phone line set up for him while he was in there. Something you will will never need to know about, but in Ontario, if you don't have someone on the outside with money that can set up a trap line for you, well then you're pretty much screwed. The phone service in the provincial Ontario jails during 2019 were so outdated. You could only call landlines because it was all done by collect calls, each call cost about 20 bucks. unless you had a trap line, it was insane. So this is where the trap line came into play, they were basically a third party line that just acts as a home phone that can allow collect calls. This way it was only $1.50 a call and something like 10 cents a minute on top, still expensive, still crazy. Your mom was paying to have a lineup for Mitch to call her. This was a way that you can three-way call as well. It all sounds very complicated, but it's How I Met Your Mother, one of my favorite shows. I'll never forget it. The reason I needed a phone call was to get in touch with someone that was gonna be coming into jail. I wanted him to bring me some tobacco and marijuana. You can see how cloudy my judgment was. Instead of focusing on what I could do to get out or to better my life outside of jail, I was actually trying to get more comfortable inside of jail. It sounds outlandish. But what I've come to learn, my sweet girl, is that most people who are in jail have no idea how to live outside of those walls. For me, it was kind of like playing hockey. You know that my addiction to hockey allowed me to reach some high levels. I will always believe that my skating and my skill could have taken me further than my mental capacity ever allowed me. million dollar hands and a 10 cent head. It wasn't for no reason, though. And that is what people... Always forget, and I'm not just talking about me, it's people in general. No one really knows what is going on for someone, because like I told you earlier, most people are trying to pretend to be somebody they are not, just like I did for 32 years. Let me get back to talking, uh, talking about your mom, or talking to your mom for the first time. That Mitch guy was not a very good guy. All he wanted to do was get out of jail and continue using heroin. He was very specific. This guy also had every drug compound tattooed on his body, right from marijuana to fentanyl. That's right. He looked like a chemistry lab blackboard. He is a guy committed to his addiction, a guy who loves drugs more than anything, and he wasn't afraid to tell me about it. He told me that he could probably get me a three-week call. He He wasn't doing it to be nice. He was hoping that I could get my mule to bring him in some heroin. He was taking a shower when he yelled across the range the number to call. Her name is Taylor, he yelled across the range. I could see the excitement in his face hoping that I could get him the heroin. Full disclosure, there was never ever going to be any heroin. That was a strict policy of mine and a few of the other guys that ran the ranges that we were on. We saw too many people die on range. I learned quick that having an overdose alone in a cell is the worst place to use hard drugs, especially heroin and fentanyl. I saw two bodies myself get rolled out in body bags and heard of several more on other ranges in the same building. And that was just during my stays. When your mom answered the phone, I knew right away that her and I were going to be together. I didn't really tell her too much about me at first, but I was in the jail mentality. Just another sad version of someone I wasn't. You have to remember, at this time in my life, I was Brady the inmate. In fact, I wasn't even Brady at all. I was Lefty. The name I went by behind bars in Ontario and on the streets of Aurelia, which, crazy enough, is where you were born. I was just pretending to be something I wasn't again. Brady the chameleon is really who I have been for 33 years. And Veda, I am so tired. Our first conversation ended rather abruptly. The party she tried to reach for me didn't answer, so I asked if she could send a text and if it was okay if I tried again later, and she quickly agreed. Her voice pulsed through the jail phone, right into my trapped body and from that moment on i was on a mission let me back you up a little bit little miss first off i hope that you never have to experience the torment and teasing that could very well come from the fact that your dad was a failure i never was hockey player who bounced around from homelessness and incarceration running from himself destroying the Leibold name along the way veda that's a side of me you will ever only get to read about or hear about, and let me remind you, my love, I am a source for you. You can ask me anything. I had your brothers and sisters when I was very young. Your oldest brother, the one that I have never met? Well, I've seen pictures. I even managed to see a video of him stick handling on a super Deaker. At the end of the video, he looked back at the camera and flashed a big smile. It doesn't take Jerry Springer to tell anyone whose son that is. The fact is, I always knew. I have no excuses for what I did, for turning my back on your brother, on my own son. I don't ever expect you to understand because I never will myself. All I can tell you, Veda, is that I knew what I was doing was wrong. I went against my own moral compass, my own values. Instantly I went from someone whom I respected to someone who isn't even worth my time. If a man doesn't have time for his own kids, then I don't have time for him. That's a problem when that man is yourself. There's a lot to go into. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't possibly explain everything and why I made that decision I made. I could tell you that I was 19 and that I was just a kid, but that's not an excuse. There is no excuse good enough. I always knew that. There were a lot of mitigating factors that led me to make the decisions. But as soon as I did, I was never the same. It's hard to fully put into context, but it's like this. I had a certain set of principles and rules to live by, just like anybody else. I grew up analyzing everything. I, t- I took in as much as I could, and I still do. It's one quality that I actually love about myself. I look, I look deeper into things, and from a young age I learned how certain things made me feel, whether it was things I did directly or things I saw people do. I paid attention, and I paid, ten- and I paid attention to my feelings. I always had a very firm stance on men who did not stand up and take care of their children. Back to the Jerry Springer reference, YouTube it if you want to know who he was. I was always disgusted by the paternity test and how the men would come out and get booed, and for good reason. It was clear from a young age that no matter what, I would never be that guy, and would never leave my own flesh. I would always be someone whom I respected. From that time, I was a young boy until the day when I made that decision to turn my back on your brother, I prided myself on being a good guy, someone who just wasn't capable of so many of the things, of so many things, and sitting atop that list of being a good guy was, number one, would be walking away from his own kid. By this time, I had already suppressed, surpassed myself by using ecstasy, and it was a huge shock when I snorted cocaine for the first time. But even that was tolerable in my mind after a while. My friends didn't like it, but sooner or later you start to hang out with people who enable your bad habits, when, whatever they may be. At least this was the case in my life. Finding people who enable a decision like leaving your own child is a little different than doing drugs, even when it's heroin. Walking away from your own child might be the worst thing a man can do in my opinion. Like I said, I was never the same. It was a confusing time, and maybe by now you have read my book. If you haven't, maybe you should. That, of course, is saying I've, I've written a book. Excuse me, guys. Which I'm going to. It will be the only place I will ever go into detail about how I was feeling around those times and what led me to make the decisions I made which after that spiraled completely out of control the reason why i wanted to touch on that veda is because that was a huge moment in my life i made a decision that i knew was wrong long before she was pregnant i knew it was wrong for anyone to do and when i became the man to do it well then all bets were off who was i really clearly i did not know Everything in my mind my body and my soul were screaming that it was the wrong thing to do and when that wasn't enough All of the people I loved told me how wrong it was too In fact many of them even disowned me for a while and decided that that girl and your brother were actually more important And now that I'm older I agree with them a hundred percent Can you believe that I actually went so far as to say that I hated my family for stepping in when I didn't I was so lost Immediately following this life-altering decision, my life fell apart. This is not the time to go into details about the dynamics of the situation that I was involved in at the time. After leaving Swift Current, I came back, but I, or sorry, but after I, leaving Swift Current, I came back to Porcupine and reconnected with an ex-girlfriend. Shortly after hearing, I'm going to leave the name out, was pregnant back in Swift Current. Brittany was pregnant, and let's just say she was not supportive of the pregnancy in Swift Current. Again, read my book. This is not the time for excuses about that. I want you to understand the importance of following your heart, and I mean your heart of hearts, when you know something is right or wrong. I want you to know how much it can change the course of your life when you decide to go against what truly matters to your soul. That was back in early 2007, and there has yet to be a day that I have not lived with some form of guilt or shame. I am telling you this, Because I want you to learn from my mistakes. I want you to hear me when I speak to you. And looking at you now, as you lay in front of me in the bassinet, in the NICU, in the Aurelia Hospital, I realize that it's entirely up to me. It's up to me to mold our relationship. It is up to me to gain your trust and to make sure that you know when to speak. Sorry, make sure you know that when I speak to you, I always have your best interests at heart. It is one of my greatest wishes to be reunited with your brother, which means you would get to meet him too. Maybe, just maybe by the time you read this, that miracle may have happened. Fingers crossed. But the truth is, I know there's, not, there's a very good possibility that day may never come, and I've accepted that. It is my hope that at least one day you can meet him, though. You also have an older sister named Brooklyn J. Leibold and an older brother named Brody Ron Leibold. As I mentioned above, I had been nothing but a disappointment to them as well. Brooklyn and Brody were my life. I had Brooklyn a day after my last regular season game while playing with the Kelowna Rockets on March 17, 2008. It was such a surreal experience, but just like when I saw you, I fell in love. I never wanted to take my eyes off of her, just like I can't take my eyes off of you. I loved being a dad. It was such a beautiful time, but the love and joy Brooklyn brought me only made me realize how much i was missing out with your other brother i would stay up all night binging on cocaine trying to drown the misery i was such a mess it was a constant battle in my mind i was not happy and there was nothing anyone or anything could do for me i didn't realize this until much later but i had to do it all all for myself we all need a supporting cast and that has never been more evident than what is going on right now the amount of support we have received to cope with the emotional and financial costs of you being in the NICU has been absolutely overwhelming. Simply put, without the love and support of so many, your mom and I would not have been able to do this. Not long after Brooklyn was born, I found out that I was going to be a dad again. The third time in three years, and I was only 22. So much was happening and was all happening so fast. It was like I woke up and my junior hockey career was over and I was a dad. I know people say you are never ready to have kids. Well, let me tell you, I was nowhere near ready. I was desperately trying to latch on to anything or anyone that could love me or direct me in any direction. I watch you trying to breastfeed, trying to latch on to your mom's nipple so desperately. Somehow, some way, you know your life depends on it. I watch you and it reminds me of me trying to latch on to anything that could give me a chance to live. You are so quick to latch on to anything that comes close to your mouth. You just want to live. I watch you, I watch you with, with complete trust, no clue what anything is, whether it's harmful or nutritious. Your instincts just tell you to latch on. I've been very much the same, looking for anything to latch on to, trying to find life, trying to, trying to survive. Honestly, I've never felt comfortable in my own skin. It is hard to explain, but it's almost like I've been playing a different character from a different movie every other week. Let me tell you, it worked for a while, or at least it would have appeared that way from the outside looking in. Growing up it was easy for me to make friends. The only reason is because of hockey. Hockey gave me the confidence to be somebody, or at least this was my understanding of it for a long time. The only reason I was ever good at hockey though was because I was trying to escape myself and hockey allowed me to do that. I did not know how to channel all of my emotions. I think it's fair to say most kids don't. Things around me started to get confusing when I was five. Your grandpa was left to raise me and your Auntie Brittany on his own the majority of the time. This isn't to say that I never saw my mom, but it meant that I didn't live with my mom anymore. This all happened just before my fifth birthday, and shortly after that, I was sexually abused. I'm a firm believer that a child needs both parents. I know I certainly did. Your Grandpa Brian is nothing short of incredible. The sacrifices that man made for his kids were endless. I learned from a young age that my dad was under a lot of stress. I didn't know exactly to what degree, but it was always evident that he was tired and stressing about money, though he rarely ever let us know about either, it was still very easy for me to see. I admired my dad so much, so much to a fault. I never wanted to let him down or disappoint him, so I hid all my faults from him. I went above and beyond to make sure my dad never found out what I was really up to because in my mind, there was no excuses for what I was doing and I just couldn't understand it. The last person I ever wanted to find out whenever I screwed up was him now that i'm older i understand that it would have been a lot more beneficial to just be honest with everyone and especially my dad hell in the end he always found out anyways and i'm sure i will too i don't know exactly what i can do to make sure you never feel like you have to hide anything from me but i will always have it in the back of my mind my dad's always had my back and was always the last one standing to me sorry and was always the last one standing next to me so it would only make sense to tell him right from the beginning this isn't to say that your baba my mom hasn't been my rock as well especially during my addiction and for my first time behind bars without her there was no way in hell I would have been able to make it through 2 years almost 2 years of jail back when I was arrested in 2015 she came to see me every week And if she didn't come visit me, she drove the 45 minutes each way to bring me money so I could order items other than the standard jail-issued food, toiletries, and the other necessities of living. Without my mom, I don't know how I would have done it. I have always had some sort of false resentment against my mom because she wasn't around all the time. As awesome as your Grandpa Brian was and is, there were some things he just lacked in. Nobody is perfect, and let's not kid around. A mom's love just cannot be replaced. There were so many times in my life as a kid that I just wanted to be held and told everything would be okay. Your grandpa Brian lost his dad when he was 12, and from the brief conversation I was able to have with your great-grandma about it before she passed away suddenly in 2010, I was able to find out that he was never quite the same after. Your grandpa is a million wonderful things, but he has trouble sharing his feelings and showing emotions. For whatever reason, it has been hard for him to hug me and tell me that he loves me. Not that he needs to tell me. I know, but it's always kind of throw me off. So much that there have been times where I've said to your mom, watch how my dad acts when I say I love you. At the end of a phone conversation, I'll say I love you and he will either say nothing or same. It's not the end of the world. My dad has proved to me time and time sorry time and time again that love goes way beyond words i can reflect back and see all of that now and i even saw it when i was growing up but there's still something in a kid that wants and needs to be told by their mom and dad that they love them and everyone knows that a parent's hug can basically cure anything i can't tell you how many times i just wanted to be hugged and never was You mix that in with the other stuff that happened to me, and I was one confused little boy. That confused little boy never healed his wounds. Instead, I held on to the identity of a hockey player. After all, by now, I had spent so many hours escaping from myself through hockey that I was pretty good at it. I think anyone would be with the amount of time that I spent on it. Reflecting back on it, I'm not sure if I ever loved to play or if I just loved that it let me escape from myself. On the front street in Rollerblades in the carport on rainy days, and when it was time to come inside, I would usually have a stick in my hands while I was watching hockey on TV. Needless to say, if I wasn't good at hockey by now, then I wouldn't probably be good at anything. Lucky for me, that wasn't the case. In fact, I have learned that you can actually become great at anything if you put your time and effort, and in some cases, the stars do have to line just right, but good old-fashioned hard work usually always pays off. Let me reiterate that I never looked at hockey as work while I was growing up. If anything, while I wasn't playing hockey, well, that was the real job. Desperately trying to be anything other than myself. After a while, it just became natural. Everything, though, had its purpose. By the time I was 17, I realized that I was just using hockey and that I didn't actually love playing the game. There of course are thi- there of course are things that I loved about it, but at 17 it was all the wrong things. Playing in the world's best junior hockey league was more of an ego boost than anything. If I haven't told you what ego stands for by now, Veda, it stands for edging god out. Take it how you wish, but there's something to that old acronym. As it as I sat around world-class hockey players in the dressing rooms and skated with them and sometimes even dancing easily around them. It became very very clear that the hockey life just wasn't for me. It just didn't crank my gears like it did for the other guys. They all wanted to get better. They all wanted to train. They all wanted to stay late after practice. I just wanted to get off the ice and get far away from the rink. From 17 to 21, I was just going with the flow. I played hockey because it's what I did. What else was I going to do? I wanted so bad to find that love and commitment that the other guys had, but my mind was everywhere but in the game. Honestly, I felt selfish that I wasn't seizing the opportunity that I had and continued to get that so many other Canadian kids would have died to have the chance at. I always knew that, but no matter what I did, I just couldn't find that commitment to actually give it my all. Going with the flow, living second by second, just waiting to explode. This was me, and the, and of course, you know it happened. This letter is all over the place. I would suggest that maybe you go back and read it again. I probably should have too, but I won't. I could, write you a th- I could write you thousands of pages and hundreds of books, but not you nor anyone will ever fully see my life for its entirety, just like nobody will see yours. I never understood how important this was. For so long, I was worried about how others saw me, when in fact I should have worried about how I was seeing me, And how I was making myself feel. At the end of... Sorry, I thought Taylor was coming in. I think Lincoln's waking up. At the end of each day, all we are left with is ourselves. I was scared of myself for so long. Always trying to be someone else's version of myself or trying to be a different version of somebody else. It took me almost 33 years to figure out that all the answers I am truly looking for are al- are already inside of me I told you about making decisions to what I told you about making the decision to walk away from your brother and I can't tell you enough how loud my soul screamed at me that I was making the wrong decision if you ever have a moment like this Veda, follow your heart and never let any situation circumstance or person divert you from who you truly are Because the second you do that, everything changes. I told you I was never the same after that. That's really where the drug addiction came in. By the time your brother Brody was born, I was a wreck. 22 years old with three kids and no idea what I was gonna do with my life. I had no idea who I was, what I liked to do, and certainly had no idea what I wanted to do. By now, my drive for hockey was at an all-time low and drugs had completely replaced hockey as my outlet. By 23, I was fully addicted to OxyContin, and only a very select few knew I was using. But that was all about to change. The first time I ever took an OxyContin, it was, at the time, the single greatest feeling I had ever experienced. There is not even a question about it. I later learned, though, one of my many stints in rehab that opiates, such as OxyContin and heroin, actually work on the same receptors as, loved it, as love. The MU receptors are responsible for love, whether it be falling in love or feeling like your mom and I do when we look at you. Well, it turns out, kids who don't receive a lot of love and affection, especially in times of hurt, are way more likely to become addicted to opiates. In 2009, when I did Oxycontin for the first time, there were so many layers to the story, some old layers and some new ones. I had never dealt with being sexually abused. I was missing some of the love connection through childhood, and I had abandoned one of my own babies, crossing a personal boundary that put me into a level of self-hatred I can't even explain. The second that Oxy got into my bloodstream, it was like some natural being came and gave me a big, huge, warm hug and tucked me into the most comfortable bed in the history of the universe. It was a place that took away every ounce of pain I was feeling. I knew I wanted to feel like this forever. I had no idea what was really going to happen. I knew the possibilities, but I thought I was stronger than drug addiction. But more than anything, I just loved the way I felt because I didn't have to feel at all. I did it for a week straight, and when I tried to stop, my body said no. All of a sudden, I needed to take multiple Oxycontin 80 milligram pills just to get out of bed in the morning, and several more throughout the day. I was still pretending to be a hockey player, but it was fading rapidly. As each day passed, I started to hate myself even more. I was trying to manage your brother and sister, training for hockey, and all the while I was hiding the fact that I was severely addicted to Oxycontin, which had now replaced hockey completely. Hockey worked. And it was a way safer alternative than narcotics, that's for sure. But nothing felt better than Oxycontin because I just didn't have to feel. That love and affection I was always searching for was now at my grasp whenever I wanted. And I always wanted it. This letter is not the time to go into details about how everything transpired. Again, that's for my book. And even then, who knows if I will be able to actually transcribe the sequence of events of my life onto paper for anyone else to fully understand. I never wanted to be a drug addict Veda. No one does. I was convinced because I was only using mainly oxycotton and after all it was a prescribed drug and hell, at one point I even had a prescription for it, which, by the way, I had no business ever having. No one should ever be given that drug, not unless they are terminal, because it's a death sentence for most people, and it nearly was for me. To think that I became a full blown heroin addict still shocks me, but once I walked away from your brother, I realized I was capable of every horrible thing out there. Like I said, I despised myself. If there was one thing that I loved in the world more than anything, it's being a dad, and being a hands on dad. I love it all. I wanted to be around Brooklyn and Brody as much as possible and I tried my hardest. No one who watched everything transpire. No one who watched my life crumble before their eyes will ever understand how hard I actually tried. There are so many factors regarding Brooklyn and Brody and everything that happened. I could easily sit here and tell you how it wasn't entirely my fault, that their mom gave up on me before she even gave me a chance, and that she made it virtually impossible for me to ever be their dad after we broke up. I could go into detail and really put some people on blast. But Veda, what I have learned is that we must own our own mistakes and not put the blame on other people. Though as I write this, I still have those tendencies. It's hard to look at yourself and have to take responsibility for everything you've done. At least it has been for me. At the time I write this, I have not seen Brooklyn or Brody since March, sorry, since February 14th, 2015. It's been over five years. I tried so hard to get clean and be in their lives, but it was like running on a treadmill. I worked and worked but got nowhere. As soon as I made traction, it was like a greater being would come and pull the sheets from under under my feet. Again, I wanted to blame other people. And sure, some people did some horrible things to me, but people will always do horrible things to us. It's how we respond that truly matters. This is another life lesson that I'm trying to implement here, Veda. We choose how we act. Character. The moment I walked away from your brother, I lost all my character. Not only did I feel it, But the people I love, like my family, our family members, well, they started to look at me differently too. There was nothing I could do, and I had to live with my choice, and that choice destroyed me. I was never the same. I tried tried my best to bury it, but nothing worked. Pretty soon, Oxycontin and heroin stopped working, so I included anything I could get my hands on. And I started using syringes. It was a progression just like anything but in a span of three years i went from playing professional hockey to severely addicted and homeless on the streets of vancouver and surrey and as you know i ended up in jail for the first time in 2015 when i was finally arrested for the first time in 2015 and was held without bail i had racked up a total of 76 charges My face was front page on Crime Stoppers for everyone to see, but by now, it was no secret that my life was in shambles. No one ever stopped to actually see what was really going on with me. No one thought to ask me, why do you think you're doing drugs? It was like everyone just wanted to get rid of me, and I know in many cases there were several people wishing that I would die, and I was even one of those people. Jail is a terrible place, and for some people, it can be absolute hell. I was lucky. The chameleon in me kicked in. I was trying to find an identity. Again, I latched on to anything I could to not have to be myself. I became Brady the jail guy. This is after being Brady the hockey player, Brady the wakeboarder, then back to Brady the hockey player, Then I became Brady the black sheep hockey player that was ridiculed by everyone in the hockey community, including opposing players, coaches, and fans. By the way, that was not fun at all. You might even be able to find the article on the internet still about it when I attacked a fan after the game down in Texas because some of the remarks he made to me during a game. And then this guy actually waited outside the team bus for me. That was actually one of my last pro games ever, and during my pint-sized comeback in 2012 when I managed to stay clean for a few months, but inevitably relapsed. I had yet to come to terms with what what I was really dealing with internally. The ridiculed hockey player was a lot better than where I was headed, that's for sure. The last time I saw Brooklyn and Brody On Valentine's Day 2015, I had a feeling it was going to be the last time for a while. There were many reasons why, but the main reason was because I could not stop using drugs. I was in so much pain, I could just not stand myself. So many times, I tried to overdose unsuccessfully. The hours I spent contemplating suicide, sitting there in the most horrendous self-talk imaginable. This was my everyday. Once I stopped seeing Brooklyn and Brody, all bets were off. I was now behind bars and knew there was no chance their mom was ever going to let me talk to them, but I tried anyways. Every single letter I sent got returned to sender with the words, no longer at this address, clearly written in familiar writing that was not their mom's, but some some other family members. I kept writing letters, knowing that they would never get to them, but I just felt like I had to sort of like i have i feel like i have to write you this letter life is very unpredictable and these are some of the things i felt like i wanted to tell you now for when you're much older i still haven't decided how old you will be when i give you this letter it is veered in so many different directions but everything i am telling you is from my heart and is the truth i am 33 and i've spent so much life experience and, and sorry, and I have so much life experience to share with you and all of your brothers and sisters. I have gone through all of this so that you guys never have to. I am equipped with so many tools that others may never have. Maybe they have some, but they won't have all of the ones that I have, and I am your guys' dad. I know I don't have all the answers, but I feel like I may just have the perfect life experience to pre- prepare you guys for your life. There is nothing I won't do for you. That is the same for Brooklyn, Brody, and of, and of course, your older brother. That's why all of this has almost killed me. I can't take back the last time with them, but I know that I, have been, that I have not been good enough for any of them until now. I had to go through all of it to get exactly where I am today. When I moved to Ontario, I had no idea who your mom was. The only reason I knew where Bracebridge was is because Brooklyn and Brody would frequent there in the summers. And while I was living in Aurelia, I used to daydream about bumping into them. I even drove to Bracebridge numerous times, hoping I would see them when they were in town. I don't think it's the best idea. But back then, my thinking was skewed, to say the least. I knew that moving to Ontario meant that I would basically never see them. I also knew that if I stayed in Vancouver, it meant I would never see them again, too. I overdosed on your Baba's front lawn just a couple days before I moved out here, and it still doesn't make sense to me how I was found, and that there just happened to be a police unit parked on the street, so that when I was found unresponsive, they were able to get there and administer Narcan before I died. <laughs> the whole family came and intervened all of them crying because of what had happened what they did not know is that that was the third time that I would overdosed in two days and about the 14th or 15th time in my life I should not be alive but I am it wasn't until moving to Ontario and ending up in jail in a completely foreign province away from everyone I know with absolutely no support that I really, truly realized that I needed help. Your grandparents didn't even know I was in jail for months, and even when they found out, they didn't want to talk to me. You want to talk about low? That was probably the lowest I have ever been. I got to the point where I seriously didn't even recognize myself. Not that I ever did, but during the summer of 2019, I was so far gone from anything anyone who ever knew me would ever believe. The addiction is one thing, the criminal record is another, but when you have the attitude that you seriously don't care, it becomes dangerous for everyone. I felt like I wanted to die, but my soul wanted to live. I had to survive, I just didn't know why. I knew that the first time I talked to your mom on the phone that there was something bigger than just her and I. There have been a few times in my life when I had been obviously compelled or interested, but this time was different. The only information I had after talking to your mom for the first time was the sound of her voice. As soon as I hung up the phone, I immediately told all the guys on the range that I was going to marry this girl. And this isn't a joke. Ask a guy by the name of Dale Southard if you don't believe me. He actually got to meet your mom around the same time I did. After making an excuse to call her a few more times, I told her that I wanted to write her. That I liked to write and that I literally had no one else to write to so she would have to do. It was a joke. She laughed. She laughed even harder when the first letter came addressed to Taylor Bezit B-E-Z-I-T-T instead of D-E-V-I-T-T. Your grandma Bev was not overly impressed that your mom was talking to a guy she didn't know. He was in jail, and now clearly he didn't even know her name. It, it wasn't getting by your grandma because she works at the post office great start right we continued to talk a few more times until i grew up the courage to ask her to come see me i remember one of the things i said was oh and by the way i'm missing my teeth just so you're not surprised it was rather interesting because your mom was able to google me and see different pictures at least she had something to go on all i had was her voice and that was good enough for me I actually had told myself that it didn't matter what she looked like because the connection was so strong. A few days before she came to see me for the first time, I called the guy who had just been released and asked him if he could search your mom up on Facebook. This was during the time when I thought her name was Taylor Bezit. So you can imagine the right information didn't come up and that what my buddy did find was a picture of a girl who he described as nice. It wasn't taylor Bezett, but it was the closest thing i can't remember what the exact name was but there wasn't an exact taylor bezit but it wasn't taylor deb it was taylor b something um so in my mind i had a completely different picture of your mom but i still wanted to her to come i wasn't taking no for an answer something was telling me i just had to meet her when the day came when i finally got to meet your mom which was just like it was just like you see in the movies behind glass each talking on a phone. Your mom looked stunning while I was dressed head to toe in orange. My hair spiked with jailhouse toothpaste and, of course, my toothless smile. I wasn't feeling overly confident to begin with, but this idea I had in my head of Taylor Bezet made me feel just a little more comfortable. Well, that all went out the window. (laughs) Luckily, we hit it off right away. She came see me twice bringing Hadley and Lincoln on the third visit. Oh, sorry, I skipped a line. Um, I, I wasn't feeling overly confident to begin with, but, uh, but this idea I had in my head of Taylor Biz, it made me feel a little more comfortable. Well, that all went out the window when she walked through. What I saw blew me away, and was anything but what I would have described as nice. Very, extremely, very, very, very nice. Would have to do. Lost my place here. Sorry, the writing's so small. Um, I will never... Sorry, okay. She came to see me twice before bringing Hadley and Lincoln, but on the third visit, without your grandma knowing, your mom drove the hour and a half with your brother and sister to come see me behind bars. I will never forget that day. I instantly fell in love with both of them. I had fallen in love with your mom instantaneously too. At that time, there was no real plan of me getting out out of there anytime soon. I was sitting on remand with no prospects of bail and likely looking at a sentence of somewhere between two and three years. It didn't matter to me. I didn't want to really get out of jail anyways. What was I going to get out to? Essentially, since I have been 17 years old, I have been either living out of a bag living at someone else's house homeless or in jail at least in jail i had my own cell it was the closest thing i had to my own house and i was so lost that i was actually content in my mind i knew getting out to nothing meant i would just rack up another slew of criminal charges trying to survive out there or i would just overdose and die Your mom gave me purpose. I had nothing to look forward to. I had no hope, and I didn't know how to find it. I was so entrenched in the jail lifestyle. I was more concerned about trying to find ways to bring marijuana and tobacco into the jails than, than getting out, even if it meant getting out for a couple of days and coming back in loaded up. It's absolutely crazy. This is where I was at before I met your mom. In fact, the reason I called your mom that very first time, like I said, was to get a three-way so they could try to get something like that set up. Your mom, of course, had no idea. Your mom and I talked multiple times every day from about August until early November when she came up with the brilliant idea that she was going to find someone to bail me out of jail. And I was opposed to it. I was completely opposed to it at first. I even told her that she barely knew me and that I was fine in there. We would figure it out and get to know each other even better, and from behind the bulletproof glass, we would figure it all out, while your mom was not having any of it. Shortly after, she suggested she would get me out. She had my lawyer on the phone working on a bail plan. Your mom found a lady in Muskoka that she knew, who she went and talked to about being my surety which is basically someone that is responsible for you while you are on bail waiting to go back to court. You either sit in jail and wait for your court dates, which sometimes can take years depending on the case, or you get bail and are put on a set of conditions but are able to live in the community while awaiting your court date. Your mom drove down with this angel of a lady whom I had never met to bail me out. It would take me all day to explain how many hoops we had to jump through to get me out. It took three different court dates to finally figure it out. I pled guilty to the high-speed chase I was in, along with a couple smaller charges, but I was not going to plead guilty to some of the other charges that carried a much larger sentence. It was, uh, it was, for lack of better terms, a crazy situation. Your mom drove the hour and a half from Muskoka to Berry multiple times to be there for my court appearances. The first time she was just there to support me, she sat she sat by herself as the lawyers read out all of my charges remember this was the first time your mom had seen me from beyond glass only this time i was in handcuffs and sitting next to a judge she sat there as they read through all of my charges i was waiting for your mom to get up and walk out of the courtroom all she did was just sit there and smile like an angel (laughs) after i pled guilty to some of the charges the judge awarded me time served The only problem was that I needed to get bail on those outstanding charges that I was not going to plead to. So I did not get to go home with her that day. Sorry, guys. The following week, your mom organized it with my lawyer that someone would come down with her to bail me out. Your mom and I had to make up a story for this lady to tell the judge of how she knew me and why she thought I would be a good fit to receive bail under her supervision. I had yet to even give your mama a hug yet. We had only been talking for a couple of months, but there she was doing everything she could to get me out there. I did not push it. I was actually against it. I just didn't want to rush things. I knew grandma and grandpa and pretty much the entire world would agree with me when I say it's probably not the best idea to bail a guy out of jail whom you have never met other than behind glass a handful of times. I had no plan other than I just didn't want to go back to using drugs. I wasn't ready to leave the life though. After being drowned by the jail lifestyle for so long, it's hard to have any kind of hope for the future. My criminal record was now a mile long, and I was just—I was a disgraced junkie hockey player that nobody, I mean nobody, wanted anything to do with. <laughs> no one more than myself. I was convinced that my life was pretty much over. I accepted I would likely die of an overdose or end up in jail for a long time. I was perfectly fine with that until I met your mom. The day I actually got out was crazy. After I was granted bail and should have been released, there was a voice from left field. It says here Mr. Leibold is serving a sentence until March 2020. Remember, this is in November 2019. Your mom's eyes locked into mine with shock, sadness, and anger. It was just a week before that we both sat in the same courtroom as I pled guilty and was sentenced to time served, so it just did not make sense. This happened at 11.30 a.m. Instead of releasing me like they should, they took me back down to the holding cells while they were going to figure it out. I was losing it. Pacing back and forth, swearing and yelling the whole nines. They were actually holding me illegally. The jail had entered the dates wrong on my release. After two hours of pacing back and forth down in the cells beneath the courthouse, I, I was brought back before the judge again. I remember looking at your mom and she had been doing the same thing above above me pacing back and forth and she had been going crazy too. I was supposed to be, it was supposed to be such an easy day that my lawyer even sent his student lawyer there because he literally had to do nothing. Even the Crown Counsel was in agreement that this was illegal and I should be be released but nobody could do anything. They brought me in front of a different judge, and after hearing the situation, he sent me back downstairs again. I did my best to keep my cool. This is when they had informed me that, I was actual, that it was actually the jail, jail's fault, and that was an hour and 20 minutes away that I had made the mistake and there was nothing that the courthouse could do. That's when I lost it. There was an early bus heading back to the big house, and I literally demanded to be on it so I could get back to the jail and figure this out. I was pissed. They loaded a few of us back on the bus around 12:30, just before they pulled out to leave back to the jail. The door to the in- in- inmate transport bus opened. Leval, you're going home. You need to get off the bus. I told them they better not be kidding because this was a sick joke and that they better guarantee that I'm going straight up to the courtroom and walking out with my girlfriend, which, by the way, I had never even met or never even touched, sorry. That's what I said to them. They assured me that I was pretty much guaranteed to get out very shortly. I snapped. I said, I'm not getting off this bus. I'm going back to the jail so I can actually figure figure this out. I told them they better go get all their friends if they want me to get off this bus. Well, they called me on it and showed up 10 deep. And I left without incident. They directed me back to the cell, not to the courtroom, and that's really when I lost it. About an hour later, they brought me back up in front of the judge. Your mom was vibrating. I was stressed, but I was sure they had to let me out. Well... I was told that he could not release me because he could not confirm or deny whether the paperwork was entered correctly or not, which, of course, it had not been. So they sent me back downstairs again, and by now I was swearing at the judge. They brought me back up one more time at around 5.15. The court closes at 5. They brought me back up to tell me that the judge who was sentenced me was now on holidays for three weeks, and there was nothing they could do. There were... (laughs) There are no words for the look in your mom's face. I won't even repeat what I was saying. Just as they were about to load me on the bus and take me back down to jail just before 6 p.m., they came and opened the door and said, "Leibold, you're released. There was nobody left in the court cells. It was like they were just doing it to fuck with me. Excuse my language. I'm cutting the story a little short, but ask your mom how insane that day was. It was one of the craziest, day, craziest and emotional days of my life. Your mom had actually already left the courthouse and started driving back to Muskoka when they released me. I had nothing. No phone, no money, no nothing. There was no one in the courthouse when I was running through it looking for your mom, who of course was not there. I managed to find a lady and she reluctantly let me use her phone to call your mom, but only on speakerphone while she held it. She could tell that I had just been released by my standard jail-issued blue shoes, or air wardens, as I like to call them. Your mom had been called by my lawyer, who was not there all day for that shit show, but managed to make some calls and get me released at the very last possible second that day. And, even, and he even called your mom to tell her to turn around. I will never forget running through the courthouse with no clue where to go. I wasn't even on the right floor. It took me an extra five minutes just to find her, but when I finally did, she ran and jumped into my arms, and for the first time I was able to give her a kiss. It was all such a surreal experience from the very beginning. A phone call on a whim to ask for a three-way call to acquire about some contraband for behind bars had turned into a pretty crazy love story, and then it only got crazier. Your mom and I are both addicts. You already know this. I would have made sure to tell you along the way. They say that kids with ad- addicts as parents have a greater chance of becoming addicts. I think this is likely to be true if the kids are subjected to a certain environment. And yes, maybe some of it are, some of it is genetics, but I believe a lot, it, a lot of it has to do with life circumstances and support systems, which at this moment you're only a week old and have some of the most amazing people behind you. They're behind our whole family, and it is simply amazing. Your mom and I had no real plan and barely any money. Your grandparents knew I was getting out, and weren't overly thrilled about it. Mom suggested me moving in there right away, and I thought it was crazy. I did not like it at all. Only because they did not know me, and I didn't want, I just didn't think it looked very good. But that didn't last long, though. We stayed in a hotel in Bracebridge the first night. We stayed up all night smoking pot and watched Joe Rogan's podcast featuring Elon, Elon Musk. I had seen it before and wanted to show her. Man, did we laugh. We are still both convinced that he is quite possibly artificial intelligence. Our connection ran deep long before that night, but that really sealed the deal. We went first thing the next morning to see your brother and sister up at the Devitt compound, that has been around since the nineteen forties. By the time you read this, I, ho- I really hope it's still in the family. It's such a special place. I want to get up there and meet. I want I want I wanted to get up there and meet everybody. They had no idea I had already met Hadley and Lincoln but I, sorry, my tears in my eyes, but I knew, I'm sorry, but knew I talked to them often on the phone. I didn't know how the response was going to be. Sorry, I didn't know. The response was going to be, but things went great. Your mom and I laughed for a month straight, but then we both slipped into addiction. (laughs) Sorry, guys. We don't talk about it much. But I was up to my old ways and slowly dragging your mom into it. I didn't like it, so I decided to leave. I ended up back in Aurelia, where I am right now as I write this, where you were born. The city was where I stayed for almost three years before meeting your mom and going to jail. I can't say I lived here because I just wasn't living. I came to Aurelia and got right back to my old ways, and I was miserable. I missed your mom in Hadley and Lincoln. It clicked with Hadley and Lincoln right away, but it wasn't until I came back to Muskoka that things really changed. When I got back, I was physically addicted. I made the decision that going back meant getting clean. I would not subject your mom and your siblings to that garbage. I have brought enough of my chaos into enough people's lives, and and I was not about to do it again with her and her young family. So when I came back, I made the decision that I was gonna get clean. It hurt so bad. Your mom watched me as I withdrawed off of fentanyl for close to two weeks. It was hard, but I did it. And near the end of it, I did get some help by going on the methadone program for the 10th time in my life. Your mom had already been on methadone before I met her. Her addiction started early, but she was never nearly as bad as me, and I never wanted to see her that way. She helped me as much as she could, but there is very little anyone can do for someone in that situation. To top it off, we were living in your grandparents' basement, and they had no idea. (laughs) Uh, They knew that we had our little stint of using, but they had no idea how sick I really was in that basement for two weeks. I would stumble up the stairs just to show face and push through it because your brother and sister were there. By the third week, I started to physically feel better, but my mind was frazzled. By about week five, I had no symptoms of withdrawal, but we also had no money. Then we found out your mom was pregnant with you and i started to panic i still had so much hate towards myself for not being there for my other kids in fact i even held back with hadley and lincoln at first because i felt so bad about my other kids i felt it wasn't fair to them to be with for fair for my kids to be with them and i started sorry and i first started feeling guilty that i wasn't really committing to them Sorry, I started feeling guilty that I wasn't committing to Hadley and Lincoln, too, is what I was trying to say there. Um, Feeling guilty that I'm not with my kids, but then feeling guilty that, you know, I'm not committing to Hadley and Lincoln. (laughs) I just typed it out wrong. Um, I felt I I wasn't fair for my kids to be with them. Sorry, what kind of guy would I be? i was panicking because we had no money and no hope of any future prospects that didn't involve some sort of crime my thinking was wrecked there's a story to go along with all of it and maybe i'll share it in my book in more detail or you can ask me or your mom about it when the time comes but shortly there comes but shortly thereafter your mom was pregnant well i will be honest when your mom took that pregnancy test, I knew she was pregnant. And I was not overly thrilled about it. I instantly was feeling bad for my kids out west. There was a day in March that also changed everything. Once I found out your mom was going to have you, I knew that I needed to find something that was going to enable me to actually be your dad start to finish. Something I had yet to do with my three previous kids. If it wasn't for living in Muskoka on the Deva compound, I am almost certain that things would not have happened the way that they did. Living by the lake all winter, I had no desire to put my skates on. Then all of a sudden that changed. After skating around Mainhood's lake for a few minutes, in which I did my very first live video on Instagram, this was before Facebook, and by the way at the time I had zero followers, it was a brand new account. Something told me I just had to press record. The next day I went skating again, this time with Hadley. We did the same thing every day until the ice melted. It was only a week, but that's all it took. I knew that the answer was going back to my roots. After skating that first time on the, on the lake, after not skating in eight years, I walked through the doors of your grandma's house with the biggest smile your mom had se- ever seen me have. No one was down there with me because honestly I was so nervous I was going to fall on my face. Your mom's remark as I walked through the door was all I needed to do to push me in the direction of the game that had saved my life for so long. I had no idea what it looked like, but I took a couple of chances, and one of them was the podcast. I'm not going to tell you all the boring details about the podcast, but Veda had saved my life. It was around the time your mom got pregnant that I started to head out into the woods on the ATV with your brother and sister. There's something about those Muskoka woods that do, do the soul good. With m- no more lakes to skate on, my soul was craving being in nature. Your grandpa's ATV was my vehicle to freedom. It was also the vehicle that connected me with Hadley and Lincoln. The three of us spent so much time on that ATV throughout the summer and spring of 2020. In between podcasts, you could find the three of us cruising the local trails with the stereo blasting and the three of us all jamming out. Being with them was such a gift. I had spent the last five years hating myself for not being with Brooklyn and Brody, and even longer for not being with, I'm not going to use his name, out of respect for him, Hadley started calling me daddy out of the blue one day. At first it made me feel uncomfortable. I loved it, but I was worried about Brooklyn and Brody. It didn't take long for, for it to catch on with Lincoln too, and by the end of April there was no question who their dad was. Not for anyone who sees us together, and more importantly, I didn't question it. It felt so natural, so real. You were on the way, and I made a decision right then and there, in order for all of us kids to have the best childhood, that I needed to step up and be a dad to all these kids. So that's what I did. And it was the best and easiest decision I have ever made. To be honest, I don't even think it was a a choice. It was fate. And for that, I feel so lucky. Was like having another chance hadley and lincoln's paternal dad had serious has serious addiction problems himself it was like hearing about me from the other side i have never said an ill word about their dad certainly not to them as they are so young but not to anyone i don't even let taylor talk bad about him when it's just me and her and she doesn't anymore because i always stop her and remind her that i was on the other side of that once too I even called to tell him that I wanted to legally adopt Hadley and Lincoln, and told him your mom was pregnant, and that I believed it was important for all the kids to have the same last name when they went to school. I also told him that I wanted to—I never wanted to keep him from his kids if he was clean. To be honest, he didn't seem very interested, but to me, but interested to me. But then again, I know how seriously addicted he is. All I can hope is that he gets clean too. But if he doesn't, it will not matter to Hadley and Lincoln. I am their dad and always will be. It is such an honor to have them in my life and when we found out you were on the way, I could not wait for all of us to be together. Right now you are a week old. Your mom and I have been staying in a hotel in Aurelia because you have to stay in the NICU for a couple of weeks. I was staying at your Uncle Matt's house leading up to your birth and he lives near Ottawa, roughly four and a half hours from Muskoka your mom was stressing that i was going to miss your birth and i couldn't make her any promises that i was that i would be there if she went into early labor and then that's exactly what happened she went into labor early you wanted to meet us you were due on the 24th of october but on the morning of october 15th your mom was feeling a little crampy so she went to the doctor's office in bracebridge with your grandma and while i sat by the phone about 30 minutes later, my phone rang and your mom told me she was already two centimeters dilated and she was on her way to Aurelia. Don't push, I said. I had no idea how I was going to get down there, to be honest. Matt would have probably drove me if I needed him to, but he had a lot going on. Ashley and Vicky came to the rescue. They came to get me and luckily they weren't far away. We drove like crazy to get to you. I had to. Qu- I had quit smoking up until that road. <laughs> up until almost that ride. The days leading up to it and that ride pushed me right back into my smoking addiction. Um, Not only was I stressed about having another baby, which we were and still in the moment are not prepared for, but the driving was rather erratic and it was pouring down rain. There were times when I thought we were going to die, then I got a FaceTime video call from your grandma who was bedside with your mom in Aurelia. The time was here and I was two hours away. Your mom is still pissed. I watched you be born at 2.07 p.m. on October 15th, 2020 over FaceTime. It was such a crazy feeling, but man, did my heart feel full. It was a plus though because now we were able to slow down a bit so I knew that I was at least going to get to meet you after all. Even if it was later than I had hoped. The first time I laid eyes on you, I cried. You were so small, so beautiful. I just wanted to protect you and hold you. Your mom was even getting jealous because I was holding you too much. No joke. (laughs) Then we got the news that you were being moved to the NICU. This was harder on your mom than anyone. She had done everything during the pregnancy to give you the best chance. She was already on methadone, and the doctors told her the previous pregnancy and on this one that it is actually more dangerous for her to go off it than to stay on it. Hadley and Lincoln were fine, but you had a few more symptoms, or at least this is what they were telling us. Your mom had even cut her dose in half and was barely on any, so when we received the news that you would have to stay in the NICU and be medicated to come off methadone, it crushed your mom's heart. I knew you were going to be okay, and at a week old, you're doing amazing. You're already a little puck support warrior. We didn't know how it was going to play out, and to be honest, we don't really know how it going to play out. All I know is that we will all be together. Your mom and I have no money. We don't have our own place to live. We don't have a car. From the outside looking in, we really have nothing. Today, though, Veda, I have more than I could ever want. I have beautiful kids, your mom, tremendous family support, and support from around the world that is actually unbelievable, almost fairy tale like. Veda, I am so lucky to be your dad. All those times that my heart didn't stop when it should have or when an angel appeared with a Narcan kid to save me, well, it all makes sense now. You're not my only child, but you are my first kid that I feel that I can actually be a real dad to right from the start. I wish this could have been... I could have been in this mindset before with all of my other kids, but it just wasn't the case. I can continue to beat myself up for it, or I can look at the amazing things I have in my life like your mom, Hadley, Lincoln, and you. And being able to give you guys all of my love is not just a gift for you guys, but it's a gift for me. It is the only way the door to my other kids will ever open. (laughs) I pray daily for the day when we can all be together, but I have no expectations surrounding that. It would only ever set me up for failure or disappointment. I don't know how things are going to go exactly. I fear that me sharing my story so publicly could have a negative impact on your life or your siblings lives at some point. People can be so cruel. But I hope that day never comes. I never want to embarrass you. I just want to make you proud. I want you to be able to point over in a crowd and proudly say, that's my dad right there. Because, Veda, I will always be right there so proud to be your dad. I hope that when you read this, our relationship is virtually flawless and all of our relationships within our family are flawless. I hope you have learned the true meaning of love and friendship the values of telling the truth and staying true to who you are follow your heart and chase your dreams don't let anyone stop you and if they try you can just call on your dad because remember even though i am never looking back to my old life and my old ways that old brady is still in there so if anyone messes with you or our family I will always be willing to die for all of you. I will protect all of you with everything I have. (sighs) Right now, I don't have anything materialized. But our family has the potential to do some amazing things. All of us. You have changed the course of my life, Veda Mayan-Liewoldt. Just think, if I'd ever called your mom that day, you and I both would not be alive. I am so grateful that this is not the case. You are my symbol of loyalty and hope. The penguin laying beside you in the hospital right now is that simple. Your mom is my penguin, I am loyal to her and our kids always. We are penguins forever. Love dad. Alright guys, that's it for episode 61 of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, Taylor's coming through the door, I can hear her now. Um, not much of an outro to do on this episode, the candles are all melting behind me, The, the room is probably almost on fire, good thing Taylor's coming in. Um. Thank you all for listening. Sorry about the video cut out. I'm going to have to do some editing tomorrow or whatever to get the audio on. Please follow me on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. I'm looking forward to episode coming on Wednesday uh, featuring one of the toughest pound-for-pound NHL fighters in history, in my opinion, and uh, a great hockey personality on CBC, PJ Stock. Um, Following him... On Saturday, uh, Todd St. Louis is going to join me, and I can't wait for that one. Um, Thank you to everybody who listened and continues to support us. Uh, It has been uh, simply amazing. I'm sorry that I didn't name anybody specifically in this episode, uh, but like I said, I'm going to make a video and uh, make sure that everybody that's helped us gets remembered the right way. I hope you guys all have a great weekend. Uh, I look forward to getting things back on track, regular schedule of the podcast, getting Veda out of the hospital, getting our family uh, together um, and heading in the right direction. Um, that's it. I got to go to bed. I'm tired. Taylor's back. I want to know how my daughter's doing. Lincoln slept the whole time. That's pretty cool. Hope you guys all have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. And remember, have a great day if you so choose.